It's time for the Christian's Hour. Welcome to TCH. Thanks for joining us. Love and War. Sounds like a great name for a novel, doesn't it? At the same time, it's really a good way to sum up the Bible's book or letter of 1 John. If you've read John's writings, you might have noticed that he talks about love. You also might have noticed he writes of contrasts, light and dark, assurance and conviction, love and war. This month, Aaron Brockett, lead minister with Traders Point Christian Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, will be helping us wrap our hearts and heads around the contrasts of 1 John. Do you feel it? Tension, I mean. It's all around us and in us. How about the tension of standing before the Son of God to give answer to the life you have lived? In today's lesson, the Apostle John is going to break that tension by teaching us how we can have confidence as we approach the judgment seat of Jesus. So, here's Aaron with four assurances from 1 John that will help break the tension and give us hope as we anticipate the day we find ourselves face to face. 1 John chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. I have never been a very good test taker. Maybe a better way to say it is I'm not very good at being tested. After about a 20-year break, I've recently picked up the game of golf again because apparently I want some more aggravation and, you know, agony in my life. I've been taking like golf lessons, you know, and just trying to figure this all out. And so I got put to the test. This past Monday, I played in a charity golf scramble. And the three guys that were in my foursome are really, really good. And I am not. And uh, every single tee box felt like a test that I was failing. You know, it was just awful. Like I'd get up there and, you know, they would crush it. And they would say like, oh man, great shot. Good lie. Good lie. I don't even know what that means. Good lie. And then I would get up there on the tee box and whiff it. And it would just be awkward silence. It just felt like I was failing every single time. Uh, when the pressure's on, like I'm just not very good at taking the test or being tested. Judgment day. We'll stand before God and we will give an account for the way in which we live our lives. That has always made me really, really nervous. And I think it should make all of us a bit nervous because at very best, that should be sobering. That I know what God has called me to, and then I know how far short I've actually fallen from that. And the Bible says that we'll stand before God one day to give an account of that. Uh, Jesus uh, mentions it that day in Matthew 7. And he says, not everybody who stands before God and says, Lord, Lord, uh, will, will I acknowledge? And they'll come back, and I'll put this in today's vernacular. They'll come back and they'll say, well, Lord, like we prayed a prayer. We raised our hand. We filled out a card. We walked an aisle. We, we listened to Caleb. Like, like we volunteered in kids ministry, a.k.a. pediatric purgatory. Like we did that for years. And, and he's going to say, yeah, but, but I didn't know you. Like you hear what he's saying. Like we can do a lot of things for him and believe all of the right things and check the boxes, what he is after is a relationship. And one of the characteristics of John's writing, both in his gospel, which is found earlier in the New Testament, and then in his epistles, which are found later, is that John uses words of sharp contrasts in order to make his point. His favorite was light and darkness. But he also writes about things like sin and holiness and grace and truth and the justice of God and the mercy of God. John holds things in tension. Now, John writes to give us assurance and conviction at the same time. 
a conviction that brings about this uh, life change, ha- th- this tension of, of the two. John wants to reassure us and reassure us, and he wants to convict us of sin. So in chapter four, John is going to talk about, he's going to mention judgment day. You're gonna, we're going to see it in the passage here in just a minute. But here's what John does. John wants us to be confident on the day of judgment. In other words, judgment day does not have to mean doomsday. It's this idea that we can stand before God with confidence. Confidence in what? Not because of anything that I've done, not because I've been able to achieve or uh, um, obtain a certain status with God. I said this a few weeks ago, that salvation is a standing that we have before God, not an achievement. And so John in our passage today is gonna give us four, what I call assurances of how to be confident on Judgment Day. So if you're taking notes, I just wanna encourage you to maybe have a pen ready, jot a couple of things down. And that's mostly just for you to kind of go back through and kind of review it uh, for assurances. So we're gonna pick up in our passage today, starting off in verse one of chapter four. He's gonna, he says, dear friends, he's actually gonna say that over and over and over again in, in this passage because he knows what he's writing is convicting. And he says, hey, dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. Notice that Spirit is capitalized. Um, you must test them to see if the Spirit, now notice there, it's lowercase. They have comes from God. And then he says this sentence that can be um, a bit concerning, but we're all, we all know it's true. There are many false prophets in the world. So what was going on then was that there was these false prophets just kind of rising up within the church, teaching things that were not consistent to the faith. And John wants them to be aware of it. Now that's uh, still going on today. And there's so much content. In fact, um, we have more access to content. And I'm not even just talking about sermons, but podcasts and audiobooks and influencers. And there's all this content that is constantly coming at us And discipleship is where we are formed into the content we consume. Like there's there's no such thing as like just passively receiving content. That whatever it is we're consuming, listening to, receiving, that that is forming us. The word there is formation. It's forming us into something or someone. And John says, we've got to be really like um, conscientious of that. We've got to be discerning of that. And I know that it used to be like, you know, you get in, the only sermon that you listen to is the, you know, you get in the car and you drive to a physical church building and listen to somebody deliver a sermon. Now um, we've got access to all kinds of, of preaching. And, and not only do we have to be discerning about real life communicators, uh, now we've got AI to deal with. And chat GPT, like all, in fact, my communications team came to me just a few weeks ago and said, we just want you to be aware of the fact that we are already kind of putting into place like what it, what we might do if somebody like puts together like a digital version of you from AI making you say things that you never said. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, like, wow, like it just blows my mind. So we've got to be super discerning. That's the primary point that, that John is making in this passage. Now, there's another thing that he's saying, and this goes, and I want to draw your attention back to the fact that the first time he used the word spirit, he capitalizes it. The second time he doesn't. So the first time he is referring to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is within us. And so he says, when you're listening to somebody teach, now the same would be true for our lives as well. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not just the truth that you say, but then he says this, pay attention to the life that they live. That's the lowercase s. That's the spirit by which they carry themselves. This is what Paul mentions to the Galatians, the fruits of the spirit. 
Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So in other words, it's, it's simply this. Does the way I live my life align to the truths that I say I believe? He's going to get more specific in verse two. He says, this is how we know. He starts with, if a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, uh, the fancy word for that is incarnation, God came to us, that person has the spirit of God. But if somebody claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist. And I don't have time to fully unpack the theology around all this. Just notice that it's capitalized. So he's talking about a singular fig figure that rises up in the end days that's anti-Christ. That's exactly what that means. But earlier in John's writing, he actually says, um, lowercase a, antichrists in the plural. So there's antichrist. There's also antichrists, uh, many that are against Jesus. Same as there is a capital S, Holy Spirit, and then there is are the spirits or there's the spirit by which we carry ourselves. He says, as you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. So the first place that John begins is he says, if you're listening to a teaching, how do you know somebody's a false prophet? And it's just like, do they deny the divinity of Jesus? So let me turn this. Assurance number one, for those of us to have confidence on the day of judgment, is that you acknowledge that Jesus is God, that he isn't just like another moral teacher. He's not just another good guy teaching us or encouraging us to be a better version of ourselves, but Jesus is God wrapped in human flesh who came uh, to live the life that you and I just could never live. And he died the death that we deserve to die. And he shed his blood on a cross as payment for our sins. And he died. And then he was bodily resurrected. He ascended into heaven and now he is mediating on our behalf before God the Father. That, that's who he is. And so John just says, we're gonna start like, uh, you know, it's like Gene Hackman in Hoosiers. Like this is the basics. Like this is a ball. Like he just goes, hey, this is where we begin is acknowledging that Jesus is God. Now, there are what we might call um, these categories. So we might call um, essentials and non-essentials or uh, primary and secondary issues. Paul goes into great lengths and when he's writing to the Corinthians about secondary issues. In other words, matters of opinion, matters of conscience. As, as Christ followers, we have freedom in, the, in Christ. So what are some examples of that? Well, you know, should a Christian uh, drink alcohol or not? Uh, that's a secondary matter. It's a matter of opinion. Should we uh, celebrate certain holidays? Matters of con, those are not salvation dependent. But then there are some that are salvation dependent. We would call they're essential to the faith. And at the top of the list would be the divinity of Jesus. John Wright goes on in verse four. He says, uh, but you, you, you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. That's one of the greatest verses, I think, not only in first John, but in all the New Testament. Greater is he that is in you and he that is in the world. I mean, if you got the Holy Spirit, that is, that is greater than. And then he says in verse five, those people belong to this world. So they speak from the world's viewpoint and the world listens to them. But we belong to God and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. Now he gets right at it, this last sentence. This is how we know. If somebody has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. So assurance number one is we acknowledge Jesus is God. Here's assurance two. The spirit of truth overrides the spirit of deception in our lives. Now, every single one of us need to recognize uh, who or what we are listening to. 
even if you're not a follower of Jesus, here, here's, here's what happens. Like if you're, if it's like pre-conversion, there's no way you come to know God without the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. Like it is that still small voice. It is that conviction. I have never preached a sermon that led anybody to Jesus. The Holy Spirit has used words I've prepared to lead people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, here's what the Bible says, speaks truth. Satan is the father of lies. The Holy Spirit reveals reality to us. Satan is the ninja of deception. The Holy Spirit brings conviction into our lives, which is uncomfortable, but it's a good thing. It's for our good. Satan accuses. He's an accuser. See, there's a target on your back. And the question is, whose voice am I listening to in this world? The voice of a deceiver, the voice of the Holy Spirit. John is simply saying this. Do you recognize the Holy Spirit's voice when he speaks? This is kind of the idea that John's kind of driving at. Have you spent enough time with the Holy Spirit that you recognize his voice? And when you hear something that's a lie, like it fires off like a red flag. Like you're like, I, I, I know that that's not true. I know that that's false. Verse seven, John goes on and he, he says it again. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Why? Because that's just the nice thing to do. No, he gives a reason for love comes from God. Like love is God's thing. God's the author of it. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. So here's assurance number three, right? Assurance number three is that you reflect the kind of love that God has shown you to other people. Now, right here is one of the only times that God is identified with one of his attributes. And notice that it doesn't say God is loving. It says God actually is love. He's, he's not saying the emotion of love is always God or that love is God's only attribute, but that love is actually to the core of his being. Theologians point out that this is possible because God is a trinity, which means that he is one being existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, so he has always existed in relationship with another, which is one of those things that if you think about it too long, your head explodes. But this is the nature of God. Well, what kind of love? Well, the love of God is a self-giving, self-sacrificing kind of love. And here's John's point. As he's saying, for those of us who are following after Jesus, that kind of love should be in us in the way that we treat other people. And if it's not, then there's no way that God is in us. I had a mentor say this to me years ago. He said, you know, don't you think that if we are saved by grace, that ought to make us gracious. And once again, there's this like tension around that. It's like, well, how gracious should we be? And when does, you know, grace cross the line into license? And, and then wh what about this over? Does this mean that we should never hold people accountable? There's, once again, John deals with tensions. And, the, and, the, and what's transformational is in the tension. And so John's going to go on to describe God's love because uh, the world wants to define love in a bunch of different ways. John's going to define God's love. And he's going to say it's more than just a feeling. It's more than just a sentiment, but it's something that gets translated into an action. And actually that action is what saved us. It is an action defined by grace. So he says this in verse nine, God showed, like he didn't just tell, he showed how much he loved us. How? by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. 
So John says one of the defining characteristics of God's love, like the defining quality of his love is the grace that he showed us through Jesus. So in a world that would say, well, you know, it's unloving to confront anyone. John says, no, actually God's love confronted the offense of our sin. That, that's real love. But he confronted it by sending his son as a sacrifice. And here's how Romans 5.8 puts it, while we were still sinners. I love that passage because in Romans 5, 8, go back and read it for yourself later today. Uh, Paul just kind of unpacks this and he says, listen, this is the kind of love that God has for us. He didn't like sit back and wait for us to feel sorry for our sins. And then he forgave us. He made it possible for us to be forgiven without any guarantee that we would turn to him. That's pretty mind blowing because I don't know about you. Nobody operates that way. Like I will, uh, you know, do a service for you once the funds are in my bank account kind of a thing. And God sent his son first. And this is how Paul puts it in Romans 5. He says, you know, very rarely will somebody die for a good person. This is the idea that if I had to lay my life down for somebody, you know, there, that, that circle is very, very small. If I was put into a position, if I laid my life down, other people would live. That circle is extremely small. But who would be in that circle, like without even thinking about it, my wife and my kids, like for them, I would lay my life down. Now, the next layer says in Romans 5, 8, he goes for an exceptionally good person. Somebody might consider laying their life down. So I'd broaden that circle out a little. And he goes, but, but here's what God did while we were still in the midst, the darkest days of our rebellion in sin, God sent Jesus. He goes, that's how much God loves you. This idea that he would lay down his very life so that you would have a shot at reconciliation with him. That the creator God, after having been rejected by his creation, you know, he could have, you know, destroyed us and started all over, but he chose out of compassion to take on the penalty of our sin and suffer in our place. A king dying for unrepentant traitors, a creator dying for his creation, a betrayed lover offering himself as a sacrifice for the betrayer. Would any of us have done that? And God wasn't obligated to do it. He didn't have to do it. He wanted to do it. That, John says, that is the love of God. It is a self-sacrificing, lay my life down kind of love. And then he says in verse 11, dear friends, I, I just love the fact that he keeps saying this because he knows that what he's saying is kind of hard to hear. He's like, dear friends, dear friends, dear friends, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Now notice he doesn't, um, identify each other. It doesn't say we surely ought to love our family or we surely ought to love those people. He says each other, which means anyone and everyone, everybody that you lock eyes with. And then he says this in verse 12, nobody has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. That is just a fancy way of saying, even though nobody's ever seen God, people can see God in us by the way that we live our lives. Right now, that should be an urgent red alert alarm for the church in this generation to hear because we live in such a day of confusion and pain and hypocrisy and people that have actually heard the gospel, but they've never really seen it lived out because many who are following after Jesus, they're not necessarily living what they say they believe. Or we say we believe in God, but we're not very loving towards others. And there's this dissonance between the two that is off-putting. 
And John says, may God's love kind of come about in this full expression. Here's what this looks like, that, that, that there would be somebody who is really, really far from God. They don't believe uh, what the Bible teaches. Their, their values are about as different uh, as opposed to Christ-likeness as you could possibly get. And yet they meet you. They live next door to you. They work with you. They talk to you. They serve you coffee. And they say to you, I don't know that I believe what you believe, but there is something so fundamentally different in you. What is that? That's what we should be aspiring to. It's this idea that Jesus has left us here as representatives and ambassadors, and it's hard. We're going to have to live in the tension. We live in a tension of a world that hates God, and yet we are to lovingly engage with the world that hates the one we follow. John goes on in verse 13, and he says, God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. How can we know that God's spirit lives in us? Uh, Well, um, this is exactly what Jesus was kind of driving at in Matthew chapter seven. He says that it's all about proximity. It's all about relationship. He says in verse 15, all who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. And then in verse 16, he goes, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. That's the process of sanctification. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. That's the verse that this sermon title came from, by the way. We don't have to be afraid on the day of judgment. Judgment day does not need to be doomsday, but we can face him with confidence. Like how often, whenever you hear about or think about judgment day, do you hear the word confidence in that, in that sentence? He goes, man, we can, on judgment day, we can stand before God in confidence. How? And he sums it all up with these last few words. Because we live like Jesus here in this world. So here's assurance number four, is that God's love drives out our fear. And now we are living like Jesus. How do we do that? Because we have the Holy Spirit living within us and we don't have to be afraid on judgment day. Our confidence is directly connected to how we live and interact with others in this world each day. So here's the question. How did Jesus live in this world? In the tension. Jesus' whole life was tension. Starting with, he was God confined to a human body. Talk about tension. He uh, was tempted in every way that you and I are, and yet he never sinned. Talk about tension. Uh, Jesus one time was accused of the religious elite, get this, as being a glutton and a drunkard, which to me means that he enjoyed good food and drink. They also accused him of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners, which meant that he hung out with really, really unrighteous people but he brought about transformation into their lives. And the only way to bring about transformation in this world is proximity. Jesus stepped into this world. He didn't pull away. He didn't acclimate to. He came into this world to rescue us, to set his love and affection upon us, to change us and to transform us. You've heard me say this before, that Jesus loves you right where you are. If you are a tax collector up in a tree or a woman at a well, so far from him, he will pursue you and run after you. But he loves you so much, he'll never leave you as you are. The word is transformation. He brings about a transformation within. And in order for that to happen, he's got to get close. And now as Christ followers, that same spirit should be in us. And now he sends us out. This is a wild thought to be his representatives in the world. Jesus would say to the disciples, 
hey, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm going back to the Father. And they didn't want him to go. And Jesus said, don't worry. I'm sending my Holy Spirit to be with you. Greater is he that is in you than for me to be with you. And we have that same Holy Spirit as well. Does that mean that you still struggle? Absolutely, it means you still struggle. Here's the difference. You're honest about it. Does it mean that you still have questions of God? Yes, but it means that you can be open about that. You can drop the mask and be authentic. And right now, more than ever, there is a world that needs to not only hear and reinforce and hear the reinforcement of the truth of the gospel. They need to see people that have actually believed it, that have actually been in close proximity with Jesus and whose lives have been transformed by him so that the world looks at you and goes, I don't know that I believe what you believe, but there's something so distinctly different than you. What is it? What is it? And that is what brings about the transformation in our lives to where we can stand on the day of judgment and look our Heavenly Father in the eyes with confidence because of how we lived. As I stood inside the courtroom, judge came walking in. There was one standing beside me, a compassionate friend to me. As he spoke my situation, I knew that he was in control. Of the destiny of my eternal soul. With a hush, the crowd awaited to receive the words he'd say. A finality was pressing like no other day to reveal my destination. That is what I soon would know. Where was I to go? Yes, Your Honor. Yes, Your Honor. I'm at Your mercy. I stand at Your mercy. You can do with me. Oh, Lord. Just as You please. You can do with me, Lord. Time came for the verdict, the anticipation rose, but the people knew too well the path and light they chose. Those who had not cared to answer when in life he gave the call, or had known his grace and love only to
Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, too, to Acapella Ministries for their ministry of worshipful, hopeful, spiritual music. 1 John 4.18 sums up today's message by saying, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love comes out of a Holy Spirit-empowered relationship with Jesus. And that comes out of our walk with the risen Lord. If you find yourself overcome with doubt, perhaps it's time to ask yourself the question, Am I walking with Jesus in the Spirit? For a free copy of today's program, just call us at 515-770-2241. That's 515-770-2241. Leave your name and mailing address. We'll send you a CD. It's free for the asking. That phone number once again, 515-770-2241. You're also free to download your own copy at oneplace.com, iTunes, Google Play, or from our website, thechristianshour.org. That's thechristianshour.org. And while there, be sure to check out the worldwide multiple language ministries of Gospel Broadcasting Mission and TCH. Thanks for listening. Please join us again next week for the TCH broadcast.